Welcome back to episode eight of Rethinking Reality. Today is our first episode with a guest. Um, I was just obsessing over every single one of this creator's TikTok videos, thinking like, wow, uh, this person has gone through, it seems like the same kind of a mental um, shift as I have. And so I asked uh, her if she would want to come on the podcast today. Say hello to T. Jamaica Pogue, also known as Deconstructing Neuro, right? Yeah, and thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Uh, I really just, like, I want to know about your personal story, and it's just, like, fortunate I have a podcast, like, that, you know, is an excuse to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much. And I definitely have been loving your content as well. I'm so glad that we became mutuals um, and that you reached out to me. Um, Because, yeah, this is something that I wanted to talk about a little bit more at length. And I I feel like a couple of minute, you know, little snippet videos don't really do it justice. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So at least for me, like um, the, the biggest or the the biggest chunk of growth for me has happened over the last couple of years. I, I'm sure a lot of people have had similar um, kind of growth or time to reflect due to the massive shift that happened um, since 2020. But um, I feel like for me, it started even a little bit before then. It just kind of got accelerated because I spent so much time by myself really being able to be introspective. Um, and so um, for me during this time, um, I, I, I'll start off by saying that I am self-diagnosed, but I am currently like seeking a professional diagnosis to confirm it, even though I am also a psychology student and I have a lot of like background in psychology. Um, I do preface it by saying I am self-diagnosed, um, but I am autistic and I have ADHD. And um, these are things that I like always kind of thought about myself in the back of my mind, but I just like dismissed it. You did think it, autistic specifically? Yeah, definitely. And it was more so because of like my um, like experiences socially that really yeah. made me think that sometimes. But it was like because I was always able to have friends and always like, you know, basically I just was basing things off of stereotypes that I dismissed it. But I thought yeah. autistic for a while, for like quite a few years. <laughs> Um, and it wasn't until I really had time to myself to really like start to deconstruct a lot of my own previous experiences that I started to read. And then like, I started to do more research on autism and neurodivergence and like beyond just the stereotypes, but like, yeah, what are the behavioral quote unquote things associated with autism and neurodivergence? The pieces started to fall together for me. And that kind of started me on the journey of deconstructing neurodivergence and on the flip side it kind of made me start to deconstruct neurotypical um communication and (laughs) yeah because like I started to realize how many things like that I've done that were not natural to me that were literally just so that I could survive in this world so it's like as I started to learn about who I was I had to learn about 
why I was doing those things to fit in and why they are, why these systems are the way that they are. Um, and that just raised a lot of different questions that continue to be like explored. But I feel like I have a really good insight into a lot of the mechanisms that like run. I, I think you do too, thinking. for sure. <laughs> oh, thank you. And so that, that's been a big journey for me is really like deconstructing that. When would you say you were like, really came to the conclusion, okay, yes, I am autistic. How long ago was that? I would say it's been almost about a year. Um, so I had a really big shift in my personal life as well as the whole, you know, everything that happened with the pandemic um, with, like, my work style. Like, I'm, I've almost always worked in, like, an environment where I was, like, helping people, whether it was, like, customer service or kind of, like, counseling or something like that. Um, but uh, a little over a year ago, I shifted to like a more traditionally corporate environment. And that was the first time that like, I was surrounded by like completely neurotypical people in a completely like neurotypical, like, it, it, this environment is completely set up for neurotypical people to thrive. Yeah. And it just, it really highlighted all of the areas in which I am so different from these people and how so much things just didn't make sense and like social cues I would miss and how like people would literally be fucking, excuse me, like, like literally be like, mad oh, at me. you can curse as much as you want on here. I do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think, but you know, like people would be like so mad at me for like, things that I just like couldn't understand. And then I would have to sit there and like think about it and really break it down psychologically, intellectually, because it didn't just come naturally, naturally, uh, naturally to me to understand why they were so mad or what, like why they felt like I needed to like participate in certain things. I'm just like, I don't get mm. this. I'm here to do a job. I'm not here to be a part of this like weird ritual of like pretending I want to like sit down and hear about your day or gossip about like dumb shit. Like it was just so weird. And so that environment really like helped me to like, it, it kind of like grew out of trauma. I should say like, I felt so highly stressed in that environment. So everything. And is that, that still where you're working or you somewhere luckily else? Luckily, no. I'm, I'm okay, that sounds terrible. I can't lie. <laughs> it was, it was absolutely horrendous. I was very depressed. I wasn't myself. Like I really like shrunk into myself and really didn't feel like who I am. And, um, but luckily like, you know, I've been at the same company for like a little over five years. So it, the department was just a completely different department. I'm back in my old department where I was when I first started and I'm very happy again. Okay. Um, but yeah, but that's a recent change. I've only been back for like two months. So, <laughs> you know, I don't think I've ever coming. like been in a super neurotypical environment like for that long, really. Um, in the like short times when I do find myself in those situations, I'm always kind of astounded by like how hard and terrible it is and realizing like, oh, wow, I have like escaped this my whole life and not just escaped it, but like actively set up my life to avoid it even before I knew that that's what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, and g good for you because it's not something that, you know, I would wish <laughs> any neurodivergent person to have to be a part of if they don't have to. Um, it's incredible. 
It definitely is. And I didn't know what I was getting into because I was kind of coddled because like, I don't know if you've ever worked in like, you know, a customer service um, environment or like a service um, capacity. Yes. There's uh-huh. usually, okay. So, you you know, there's usually some neuro spicy people in there or like just some people who kind of like sure. aren't really, you know, part of the, the matrix as I like to call it or whatnot. Yeah. And so you know, I kind of got spoiled. It's like, you know, this is the company I've been working for for so long. I'm so used to being in this environment with other people who kind of get me that I wasn't expecting that it would be such a shift moving from one side of the business to the other. But it was because like, you know, you go from like an environment where everybody's kind of doing the same thing to like this other environment where everyone's like so self-important by their title and like, well, I do this Ooh. and this is my area of business and, you know, this is my title. And it's just like, I don't care about the hierarchy. You are boring to me as a person. So I'm not going to sit here and want to have lunch with you. But it seems, but it's like socially rude for me to not want to have lunch when I'm invited to lunch by some manager of some quote unquote department. And it's like, well, I didn't know that that was like the rules, the social rules here that like if you get invited somewhere by someone who quote unquote went higher than you, it's kind of rude to say no. Well, I'm hmm. not interested. So I just said no <laughs> because like I thought it was just a genuine offer. I didn't realize there were all these stupid fucking rules. Yeah. I, so I'm lucky because um, my mom is a business communication teacher. So like she's kind of always been able to tell me what the rules are just in like social communication and, you know, professional settings. But mm-hmm. a big thing that is like, it doesn't matter how much I know about it. I still can't do it is the like ego coddling that you're expected to do. And yeah, like they need you to make them feel smart and like, and I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't do it. I can't pretend like their ideas are good if they're not. Absolutely. And on the flip side, I also can't pretend like I'm not as smart and capable as I am just because I'm, you know, quote unquote, ranking lower than you. And I can't help the fact that if I present an idea that's really great, that that makes you feel insecure because you didn't think of it. I'm not here to try to be a smart ass or outshine you. I'm just good at what I do. And I realized, you know, that I was getting a lot of hate because, you know, to your point, I didn't really feel like enamored by people or like feel like I had needed to kiss anyone's ass. Um, But then I realized that that got me seen as like someone who thought they they were better than people or that I was trying to like buck the system. And in reality, I just didn't realize that I wasn't playing the same game that you guys were. Yeah. I I I found that in every single like group kind of situation I've ever been in. And I've been in like pretty – neurodivergent centered ones because I've been in the entertainment industry my whole life. Mm. Um, like I, like even my, my service industry job in high school was at the movie theater. So like, I don't think there were a lot of neurotypicals there. Like it was definitely <laughs> people who like wanted to be able to watch movies uh, a lot <laughs> um, oh. and stand in dark theaters and not have to talk to anyone. So like definitely a lot of weirdos. Um, and then <laughs> I have like worked in comedy and at theaters and um, but like every time I get into honestly any situation where just too many people end up knowing me and they know each other um, I like something happens where it turns like people who have 
disliked me for a long time find an opportunity to like band together and try to take me down um because i haven't like done things the way you're supposed to and uh like it happens every time to the point where i'm like i don't ever want that many people to know who i am all at the same time like ever again <laughs> i totally feel you on that like that was part of the reason why like I was so miserable in my previous position. And this is, again, something I didn't know that I was getting into was that, like, everyone's always jockeying for attention in that kind of world. Like, it's like, what can I do to stand out? And I didn't realize that I was standing out in a negative way sometimes, you know, because I was, like, quote, unquote, bucking the system by, like, not kowtowing to the directors and all the people with these fancy titles. And so people kept talking about me. And like standing out in a positive way also then means standing out in a negative way when people don't want you to stand out in a positive way. Like, and we are people Mm -hmm. who we can't help but stand out. It's, there's nothing we can do about that. Exactly. Like the way I dress, the way I like hold myself, the way I talk and communicate, like it doesn't matter. Like whether it's positive or negative attention, I can't help but get attention. And that actually really gets on my nerves. Um, and I don't really ever seek attention at all, even though I get a lot of it naturally. And so I didn't realize that, like, that was super important to them in that kind of culture where it's like, you know, what can I do to be seen? Like, oh, do this and it'll help you get seen. Like, that. What that's what I would hear all the time when I would, like, first meet with people when I came over there. It would, mm. you know, say things to try to give me advice on how to, you know, be, you know, successful in the role. And it would always be things about being seen. And I'm like, thinking to myself, like, that's not why I took this job. I took this job yeah. because I thought I was going to be able to, like, learn a lot about a different side of the business and, like, support this part of the business in a different way. Like, I kind of thought I was still going to be more in, like, a service capacity, like, helping to create, you know, ideas that will help the business run a little bit more efficiently. And and no, it was more about, like, what can you do to, like, be seen? So basically, like, who can you become friends with? Like, what, you know, trip can you get invited to go on or something like that? And, like, this, yeah, it was so stressful. So, like, I didn't lean into that at all. I kind of went very quiet I could spend almost and the whole work day and not speak to anyone outside of like you know if they asked me a direct question or if I needed to ask them a direct question but like people would have conversations all around me and I would just sit there with my headphones in and not speak yeah. I went very you know I want to say nonverbal, but you know slightly um slightly nonverbal for almost a year and it was really stressful yeah. yeah, I remember. I would, I would not willingly enter that environment ever again. Ugh, no, it sounds terrible. Um, my mom came to like one of those uh, like back to school nights when I was in high school, where the parents are supposed to come meet the teachers and stuff. And mm-hmm. I remember her saying to one of my teachers, "Like, oh, I'm Erica's mom. Like, I'm sure you know who she is. I'm sure she's like talking all the time." And the teacher's like, "I don't know. She sits in the back and she never says anything." And my mom was so Ooh. surprised because that was so different from how I am like around her and, and really how I am if I'm actually acting like myself. But I like, I, yeah, I don't volunteer a lot of information about myself. I don't like, 
I've kind of learned that um, people really don't like need to know that much about me. It's like generally kind of good if they don't. And uh, I'll answer people's questions if they ask me, but they very rarely do. And then they don't even realize that they don't know anything about you. Why? Exactly. You know why? It's because they rely on like social cues. They rely on like, like a lot of the times they offer up information about themselves and they want to be seen and have people yeah. like absorb all these things. They think you're going to brag about think, your cool shit. And so if you haven't said something, then they assume you haven't done anything cool. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then like for me, like, you know, like we were saying earlier, like it's so easy a lot of times for neurodivergent uh, people to just be like seen all the time because we are, rebellious individuals like we can't help but be ourselves a lot of the times and so you know when you're different you stand out and so a lot of the times I would get a lot of hate because I can do a lot of things that are kind of cool and I'm not shy about it and um yeah like that shit that is it's really annoying they don't they they are too afraid to stand out and so it's like when you do it it's like oh it's scary to them and there's I feel like there's a lot of jealousy over attention um, because mm-hmm. like I have um, mostly done social media stuff for the last like seven years. Um, and mm-hmm. I mean, I guess even before that I was a freelance writer for websites. So like I've kind of been, yeah, doing stuff that like kind of by necessity gets you attention or requires attention, but it's just like, I can't work a regular job. Like in my only skills are creative skills that I can do at home. <laughs> so it's not about like craving the attention. It's certainly not about craving like people liking me because it's just, that's not real. Like I don't internalize that like at all. Um, I think, mm-hmm. If also, if you internalize when people, you know, love you and are praising you, then it will also be real when they're hating you and like, and exactly inevitably going to happen. So you just kind of like, you can't believe any of it. Um, but right. I, like validation to be internal. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel very much like a separation between like myself my life, my loved ones, and then like my public self and what people think they know of me because like they can't, they can't know me. You can't know me over the internet. You can only know a little bit. Um, So that whatever people's opinion is of me, is not actually of me. It's of a very like paper thin construction of me. Um, (laughs) But um, I, so like, what? And I was going to say, no, that's a great point. And that's something that, like, I really started to lean into over the last few years through my journey of, like, the self-acceptance and more self-awareness. It's, like, I can only be me. And I can't help how people react to me. Um, and this, this, you know, going through this journey of being around those neurotypical people all the time really helped me to become more comfortable in that environment because I had to get comfortable with the fact that these people are mad at me for no reason, no fault of my own. I'm simply being me. And because they don't know how to express themselves and they just go around assuming and anticipating that you're going to just fall in line with these like unwritten, unspoken rules, 
now they're mm-hmm. mad at you. I can't internalize that anymore. I can't feel like I'm this weird person or like I need to change who I am completely. Like, yeah, I need, I can be the self-aware. I'm not perfect. And yeah, I, I make mistakes. But I might say something that's a little crazy or outside the box. But the more I, re- more I realize that a lot of the things that make people upset with me are more so their perception of me. I can't, I can't control that. I can't control how someone perceives me. I can only control my intent and what I put out into the world. Yeah. It's interesting for a little while, like after I, you know, figured out that I was autistic and really understood more about all the like communication stuff that I had been missing. Um, for a while I tried like, okay, what will happen if I do attempt to like take everything into account of like how people's feelings might get hurt and how they might interpret stuff and try to like uh, phrase things in ways that don't directly like challenge neurotypical egos and like, will that work better? And I found that it didn't work any better. And they got just as mad at me, like, as if I'm just talking without thinking about their feelings. And so it really doesn't fucking matter. Like, I can't defend their (laughs) perception of me. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, like, and why should you have to walk on eggshells and continuously try to play their game when, like you said, it doesn't matter either way. Like, if you're going to get offended, whether I sugarcoat what I have to say or not. So I'm just going to say it directly the way that I would actually say it, as opposed to slightly suggesting it so that you can see behind my back. Like, yeah, what's that about? <laughs> yeah, something like, because I do sometimes get criticized for like, the kind of aggressive way I will talk about stuff. But I also think about like, well, what has gone through to me? You know, um, how have people been able to like reach me and change my mind? And so I know that because like, for example, um, I like threw myself into like learning about social justice issues in my early 20s um, because I moved from Indiana to LA and like I had felt like I was the like most liberal person in Indiana and then moved to LA and find out that makes you basically a Republican in LA. Like there was (laughs) so much like that I didn't know had never been exposed to. And so I wanted to really like educate myself on it. And uh, the like pussyfooting around feelings and like, trying to not bother people's fragility like those messages wouldn't like I don't remember anything like that really like stabbing me in the brain but I remember when I saw like people and not not like directly at me but you know and just like people would put you know a tweet or a blog post or something and just really call out like um you know, like, for example, if you are, if you are needing people to be nice to you in order to be an ally to them, you are putting your feelings over their lives. And like, how can you do that's awful. And that kind of thing like that punched me in the face, you know, it's like, that's true. 
I am putting my feelings over other people's lives and that is wrong. Like I don't want to be like that. So I am not going to be like that. And that's the kind of shit that got through to me is like very uncomfortable truths and making me recognize the, uh, like the things that were part of like my conditioning from society that really didn't fit with, um, my morals and who I wanted to be. And so that's how I talk to people. And a lot of times, you know, people want me to soften it up and be nicer. And I was like, no, because I don't think, at least in my experience, that doesn't get through to people. And like other people are going to do a much better job with the soft and nice stuff if that's what other people need. But like, I don't, that didn't get through to me. I don't know how to communicate that. Like, so I'm just going to have to do it this way. (laughs) I, I completely agree. I feel like it's because people don't want to feel pain. They don't want their feelings hurt. Like, and yeah. so they want they want to be coddled. They don't want the truth. They want you to imply and be indirect. And as soon as you say something directly, if you ask a question, it's seen as an attack. It seems like you're direct and you're so just like aggressive. And really, I'm all I'm trying to do honestly. is. What do you say? I said, I am kind of aggressive, honestly. Like, <laughs> I mean, I feel like I can be too, but like I, I've noticed, at least in my experience, is that like a lot of neurotypical people feel like if you ask them any kind of question, it's like they take it like a challenge as opposed to a genuine question. Like I'm literally only asking you a question for question's sake, and I'll give you a, an example. So recently I went to a new girl to get my nails done because my old girl that I had been going to for five years, she sold her shop and I was devastated. And I still haven't found a new nail tag. So she's doing my nails and I just literally asked her, oh, how do you plan on doing the ombre? That's literally all I asked her. And I asked her just uh-huh. like that. I was like, oh, like, how are you going to do the ombre? Or like, you know, trying to like any kind of like condescending tone or yeah. challenging tone. It was literally like, oh, like out of curiosity because she was doing it in a way that I had never seen it done before. And so she goes and like says, goes into this whole explanation about like, oh, well, it needs to go here because you showed me this picture. And I was like, no, I know like, you know, the design, I chose the design. I'm trying to, I'm asking like which method you're going to use because you're already like filing the nails. Yeah. And she like from that point on had like a whole attitude problem with me and started seeing a lot of passive aggressive things. At one point she was like, you know, well, this is how I do ombre. You know, I guess, you know, your other nail tech must have been more talented than me. Ugh. And I was like, exactly. And I, and I didn't even react to that externally, but internally I was just like, what the fuck? Like nowhere was I saying or challenging your ability to do it. I was asking how you were going to do it. But I could tell by her response that she interpreted that question as, well, I don't think you know how to do it. So now I'm questioning if you know how to do it. I'm challenging your ability to do it. When literally I was just curious because I'd never seen it done that way. I wouldn't have come to her like, to get my nails done. That doesn't make sense to her. Like, exactly. you, to be curious about how nails are done, like, that's not, like, neurotypicals are not, well, they're not very curious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't think very deeply. Everything is very surface level to them. They don't process a lot deeply and they don't want to. And that's, again, why they don't like to feel quote unquote challenged. So either they'll feel like it's a challenge because they think you might be like, 
you know, questioning their abilities or, you know, they may feel challenged because they don't, they never thought of the answer to certain questions. Like if you ask them about like their stances on certain things and it's like, well, I've never actually thought about that. Now this is making me uncomfortable to think about this for the first time. It's like, gosh, like if you just stopped being so afraid to think, (laughs) you know what I mean? It sounds terrible, but I feel like I have kind of, maybe realized like the way I know how to deal with neurotypicals and, and like uh, there are a lot of, I would say like pretty like functionally neurotypical neurodivergent people, you know, like they are neurodivergent and holistic, but like they are so uh, attuned to the neurotypical like way of thinking that it's, it's basically like interacting with a neurotypical and yeah um they if they're gonna read me as like aggressive and direct and so like i kind of just lean into that because um that kind of like i don't know that's that works <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I learned that re- that's something i learned recently so i part of the deconstructing my previous behaviors and childhood traumas and stuff like that, I learned that I had a lot of people pleasing tendencies. And part of those people pleasing tendencies was like dulling my own shine and not, mm. you know, being I've been thinking as, about this you know, so much like today. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah so on my mind. Right now. Being, exactly. So like, I guess you feel me. It's like, you know, not being as outwardly confident as I am. Like I'm a very confident person, but I would like pretend that I wasn't like, as you know confident about something like oh i'm nervous when like really i wasn't and i knew i was gonna kill it you know but i was trying yeah. to like, go my own shine because like i knew from previous experiences that me just being me made other people feel insecure and they would take their insecurity out on me in other ways by bullying me or ostracizing me or things like that and so I developed people-pleasing tendencies and decided to go my own shine and be the nice girl that always said yes and recently I felt like I've entered my quote unquote villain era because I really don't give a fuck. I'm a bad bitch, period. And you're going to see this and feel it. And I don't care if it makes you feel insecure or hopefully maybe makes you feel inspired. But if not, either way, I'm just going to do what I do and shine. And yeah. you're just going to have to stew. <laughs> yeah, this is something I've really been thinking about just lately because um, – <laughs> Like, I don't know. Now I'm like, hmm, how many specifics do I want to put on the internet? But like some <laughs> of the like work situations that I've been in and stuff, I, I like it's still a situation where like they want me to be a little bit less of myself, even though if they just let me be 100% of myself, like it would be better for all of us. Um, because yeah. like as a performer, so like I'm great at what I do. Um, I have like a narrow like group of things that I am great at. And like then so many things in life I suck ass at, like I'm not great <laughs> at like uh, most of the normal like day-to-day living shit, like going to the fucking grocery store and doing laundry, terrible at those things. Um checking my email you know like not having forty thousand unread emails like very bad about those things but then like 
you put me on stage with an audience and it doesn't matter like does the whole sound system go out and I have to just talk to the audience for 10 minutes? No fucking problem. Like I can just, I can always do that shit. And I have been able to see like, that is a really cool and very rare talent. Um, Uh but it does mean that like, I just, uh, I get more attention than like, the people that I might be working with and uh, and people don't like that. And I, I just feel like, uh, but if, if this is what is going to be most successful for us, like, isn't that good? Like why wouldn't like, if the audience is really like responding well to me, why wouldn't you want that? (laughs) Like, yeah. You yes. can't like internalize other people's insecurity is like a big lesson for me. It's like that was part of my people pleasing is because like other people's insecurities about their reactions to me and what I what I can do or what I said or whatever, whatever triggered that insecurity within them. I used to internalize it and that made me want to like dull my shine or like not speak up or or say that I could do certain things or volunteer to be a part of things that I wanted to be a part of to, to kind of like deflect the attention away from me a little bit more because I knew that people didn't like that. But like, once I stopped internalizing it, it's like, Hey, look, I can't help the fact that you don't, you, me just being me trigger something in you. Like that's yeah. not my problem. And I'm no, I'm no longer going to try to manage your emotions when you can't even manage them yourself. And like, I want people to be their fullest self and, like, this is something I'm very lucky about with, um, Frida. She's my, she's my best friend. She is my life partner, my roommate, like uh, nothing that fits into like any of the labels that this society offers us, but, um, mm-hmm. she's the best. And, uh, we have like some complementary skills and I think it's so cool. Like the things that she's good at that I'm not good at. And she thinks it's cool the things I'm good at that she's not good at. And, like, I – like, life is so much better that way when you just get to be the fullest expression of yourselves instead of, like, what we're both going to be is 75% of, like, why? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a shame because, like, the society, at least the culture that we live in, is so built on people, like – not being themselves it's like you have to fit into this mold and when you don't fit into the mold you're seen as crazy wackadoo or like you know just somebody yeah. who needs to be put in their place depending on like where you fall um yeah that a lot it, it, people it, want it, to put me in my place people have a very strong oh, desire yeah. for that yeah <laughs> oh yeah i get that a lot it's like you know who the fuck do you think you are or like how dare you or like simmer down you know pipe down you know your place here and it's like, well, no, like, I'm going to challenge or I'm going to ask why if things don't make sense, you know, just because you don't want to, just because, you know, cognitive dissonance is painful to you mm-hmm. um, doesn't mean I'm not going to raise those questions that are going to maybe make those feelings stir up for you. Yeah. I'm not afraid to do that anymore. I, I do think, like, it is interesting because it has made me kind of unusual among other neurodivergent people, but like I don't have um, a lot of people pleasing tendencies. 
Um, mm-hmm. And not that I never have them, but like, especially I'm like, if I'm going to be like that at all, it will only be with the people I'm closest to. Like, people I don't love, like, I just do not care if they're mad at me. Like, I just, I just don't. Um, Unless I did something, you know, (laughs) if somebody is mad at me and I can tell, like, it's because I really was in the wrong, then yes, that's upsetting. But when I know, like, I didn't do anything wrong, I can't be upset. Like, I don't, I, I just, it won't do, it doesn't do anything to me. Um, and like that, uh, like people have called me a sociopath for that, you know, in the past that like, mm-hmm. they can't make me feel bad. Um, but I don't know. They just can't. And, uh, <laughs> I, know. I, I totally get what you're, I, I get what you're, you're, what you're saying here. Cause like, that's where I am now. But I had to get that way from from evolving through the people pleasing tendencies, and so yeah, they'll call you unempathetic, basically because you're not picking up on, basically because they're not able to energetically pass off their their pain to you. They yeah. want you to feel bad because they feel bad, but it's like, well, if I'm not actually in the wrong, then no, I don't feel bad just because something that I said triggered some insecurity or something within you or how I said something, you know, because I didn't approach it with the, you know, with kid gloves or whatnot made you feel some kind of way. Well, what I said wasn't actually wrong and I'm not in the wrong just because you took it as a hit. Now, if I did actually do something wrong to you, I have absolutely no problem apologizing because I never intend to hurt anybody. But if you're just mad because you are, your neurotypical brain is wired to take my direct statements as a challenge, then, buddy, I don't really have anything to say other than I guess we shouldn't really talk because I'm not going to stop being direct. And apparently you're not going to stop taking my direct statements as me trying to be an asshole for some reason. Yeah, it's uh, it's even been an interesting thing, like for me on social media because sometimes I like I've had people mad at me um for things that I just like I I did not say that you know I did and I have like checked with other people who I respect and like I have verified for myself like okay I didn't do anything wrong and but still people want me to be responsible for their feeling um but their feeling was based in their thoughts like of what they thought I was like my intentions were or something, but uh, I don't think I'm responsible for that. And they would say yeah. like, <laughs> like I've had people try to get me to take accountability to, I'm like, I'm not accountable to you. I, you are a stranger on the internet. Like, no, I, you're right. I am not going to say, I'm not sorry because like I, <laughs> I don't have to be accountable to every single person who has an opinion. Like that's unreasonable. Exactly. It's like, okay, you can. Why, why can't we just agree to disagree? So I feel like when people have like an opinion, they feel like their opinion is the same thing as facts. And if you have a different oh, yeah. an opinion, they just will like keep hammering at home. Well, no, you need to. You need to own up to this. Well, no, like to you, this is the, this is your opinion. This is how you view things, and over here is how I view things. 
you know, if, if you see it that way, okay, but I know that I didn't put it out here to hurt you or to harm you. This is how I am seeing things. And I can't really help the fact that your life experiences to this point gave you a point of view that you would view, that, that gives you a lens, you know, that filters my actions or my words through and yeah. comes out with this completely twisted meaning that I didn't actually mean. Yeah. I, I've been going through that a lot when I think about like, so I'm actually, I'm single and like, it's been really difficult for me to like actively like try to date. I've never been somebody who's been really good at like flirting because it's all very passive and it's <laughs> yeah. and I've always been a direct communicator. But like, I had a recent interaction with this like guy who is like the most neurotypical fucking guy on the planet. Because <laughs> it didn't matter what I said. Sometimes it just like he, it, his reaction to like he thought I was challenging him or like trying to be like, you know, like what are you doing? When really, like when I would ask questions, it was because I was trying to get to know him because I was intrigued by him at first. But our communication went downhill so quickly because. He just seemed like so on defense every time we spoke. After a while, I was just like, wow, like I feel like I can't even talk to him. He's like got a wall up. Feels like he's bracing for a fight because I asked a couple of questions. Like, I don't know. This is really weird. Yeah. The people who are so afraid of ever getting hurt that like they're not letting, they're not even letting anything happen. They're not letting themselves actually experience anything and like i'm not that afraid of getting hurt i've been hurt i you live like it's not awesome but like it also doesn't kill you um (laughs) yeah i had like a a big shift in my um my understanding of people and i'm curious to see if you had a similar thing or how it was for you but like uh the first time I really noticed like a shift in how people were interacting with each other was a couple months into the pandemic. And so I was really in the rave community, like before, um, well, yeah, before quarantine. And I was like kind of a rave influencer, like Frida and I made vlogs at festivals and, um, like worked with fashion brands and uh went to a lot of festivals and that was very much like the internet community I was part of and a couple months into quarantine there was this other girl in the community who started getting massively bullied I mean like bullied on just an unbelievable scale um because people did not believe that she had cancer and they wow. were like looking through her social media posts and be like, you said you had surgery on this day, but three days later, here's a picture of you on Instagram hula hooping. Would someone who had had surgery be hula hooping? It was, it was unbelievable. And I oh reacted immediately. Like what is fucking wrong with you people? Um, like, you do not know. You don't know. And so that you are taking the chance that you are bullying someone with cancer about their cancer. And that is like a chance you should never be willing to take. And also I knew someone who had had like a very similar kind of cancer to what she was describing. So I knew like her story checks out. It makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. These people were just like going on WebMD and like, 
thinking that like they yeah, just I'm comparing to like, well, when my aunt had stage four breast cancer, it was like that's not the same fucking kind of cancer that she has. Yeah, it's just not the same. And like, uh, it was gleeful, and it was like literally thousands of people gleefully bullying this girl, and mm-hmm. I'd never seen anything like that since like middle school. So I just felt like, oh, things have like shifted. And I knew, too, they are going to do this to me as soon as they can Um, because, like, I just knew it was kind of a similar – like, she was blonde and pretty and had a lot of followers and people – were sometimes jealous that like they didn't get enough attention from her. And, um, and I, yeah, I just, I knew like, there's nothing I can do because it's not going to be anything I've done, but like the, they, this will happen to me. I just, and so, um, I had like emotionally accepted it and I was right. It did. Um, it was actually when I came out as autistic, they, Uh, accused me of like faking being autistic and you know Uh, harming the real autistic people and uh, then all the autistic people who came in to back me up and explain like the autistic community actually supports self-diagnosis and um they didn't listen to them i mean (laughs) they didn't actually care you know uh Mm -hmm. and people were even just (laughs) saying absolutely wild like claims about me um i remember a couple that really stuck in my head because they were just like funny uh was because some people have been trying to like defend me and say you know well a diagnosis is very expensive not everyone can afford that and then some people said she spends so much money on partying she's out every weekend so i think she could like spend that money on a diagnosis and it was like i literally haven't left the house in a year (laughs) i don't know what you're talking about but people didn't need any kind of like proof or evidence or anything um and then what was really sad though is i ended up like losing a lot of friends people i had known you know, in real life for a long time, people I had been really kind to, people I had done a lot for, and it became like the thing was to hate me. And so they did. And I, it it really made me see like, I can't trust, um, especially I can't trust neurotypical people and I'm ne- I'm never going to again. I'm just not going to because I have learned now f- finally after experiencing it so many times that eventually they will do something awful to you because it will be advantageous for them and it's yeah. just going to happen. And I remember I cried my eyes out for two hours and then I was like, okay, now I'm, I'm done. I have let them go. Like, but it was like I was letting my perception of like what humanity was um, die. And I had to accept that like a lot of 
I don't know, a lot of like what I had seen as connection with people was like just coming from me. And, um, and I wasn't picking up on all of the, like, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't picking up on all the subtext. I wasn't picking up on, um, that a lot of times people were just nice to me when it was popular to be nice to me. And, People would be nice because I had a lot of Instagram followers and, you know, and like, uh, I wasn't, yeah, I like I had to connection is difficult with neurotypicals because that's not important to them. Like I feel like neurodivergent people, we have fewer connections that are deep and neurotypicals have a lot of connections that are shallow. And then that's why they look at us when we may be, quote unquote, loners or not joining in with the crowd. And they say, yo, this, this person is antisocial or they don't have social skills or who do they think they are or they, or they think they're too good to hang out with the crowd because yeah. it, the group think and the belonging is so important to them because a lot of them, what, what I, what I started to figure out or theorize as part of my deconstructing of neural neurodivergence and neurotypicalness is that neurotypical communication and the culture of neurotypical communication is predicated on insecurity and trauma bonding. So a lot of them are mm-hmm. afraid to stand out. And so when, so they can kind of like rally around um they can make somebody the scapegoat usually a neurodivergent person and they can bond on their shared hatred of this person yes. who is so crazy and who That's is like fucking is. the system exactly and it's like, when well, they figure you know, out other people also hate me and they get to hate me together they're fucking thrilled it's like yeah and like it's so validating it's like yeah so i oh yeah okay so i'm not the only one who thinks she's weird okay cool as yeah. opposed to being self-reflective they'll continue to project their insecurity and make you the problem as opposed to being self-reflective and, and realizing okay what is it about this person why do i feel triggered by this person it's like no i have to find a reason that this person is bad because i feel this way yeah. and, and as opposed to the opposite away and they bond with other people who share those same feelings and they get to continue to share that group thing as opposed to thinking thinking deeper about it they're just like no we're right they're wrong and they really like they wanted this like emotional payoff of destroying me um like and i i knew it they wanted me to get off the internet they wanted me to cry you know and like and no shade to her. She's she's a lot younger than me. And so, but like this other girl who had been bullied, she gave them everything they were trying to get out of her. You know, she posted videos of her crying, begging them to stop bullying her. Like she would get off of social media for a couple of weeks and, and like it just fed the beast. And yeah. I like, I felt like, uh, well, first of all, I would just, I would not ever post a video of me crying because people are being mean to me. I would just, I would never do that. Um, mm-hmm. and like, but even if I wanted to, it's like, I would never give you that satisfaction. Um, and I, like, I will not, like that, yeah, that emotional, like, thing you want out of destroying me, you can't, you can't have it. I'm sorry, but you picked the wrong person. Like, Exactly. I'm, you cannot project that. You yeah. can't project that over here. They they feel bad, so they want you to feel bad. That's why they do these things. But it's like once you stop internalizing their insecurity, you stop internalizing 
their insecurities, then then that actually makes them it's it makes them even matter i'm finding it's like they're like what can we do to fucking get this bitch to just like yeah. stop oh yeah you know acting like she's better than everybody else so it's like there's they nothing you can really do so because your opinion doesn't matter yeah but there is doesn't. nothing they could do and also like i because i've been canceled like several times now for things like this you know <laughs> like and i it, it doesn't change my life at all like i just keep doing what i'm doing i never leave like you can't make me leave um right but it was and it's also because like, you were always doing it for for the right reasons like you were doing it because it's a genuine expression of yourself and and yeah again, i wasn't doing it so it was like me people, exactly these people they want attention they and but they don't know how to get it because they they're too afraid to actually be themselves they don't realize that they would get what they want if they stopped playing the system or playing into this role yeah, and they're just too afraid. They're too afraid. So you're gonna be the you're gonna be the wackadoo that's gonna be constantly. Uh, oh, sorry, my little nuggy. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> my little doggy. She she distracted me, looking so cute. That's so funny. My cat came up at the exact same moment and started licking my knee. <laughs> being adorable. Um, like yeah. it was it was sad because like I had kind of you know I had expected it. I knew this was gonna happen. Um. But it was pretty devastating for, like, my mom and Frida. And I remember when I, like, Frida crying. And um, and at first I, I was, like, worried that, um, like, I was ruining her life, basically. Because, like, we couldn't keep people in our lives because I was in her life. And she was like, what the fuck? No. Like, it just is, like, it just makes me sad that people are so mean to you. Like, it just... They're not good. They're not good people. And we kind of had to, like, shift our idea of what, like, I don't know, what a good person is. And, like, the people that we know, are they good? Like, and that's a, such a loaded, you know, topic. But um, I would definitely say, like, to bully people with cancer and, like, bully autistic people because they say they're autistic like no you're not you're not a good person like if you do that you're not um and it but yeah so it was this like kind of big like reframing of how I saw people in general and I was curious yeah did you have any kind of moment like that where it's like you had to let your old perception of humanity die and or were you a little more clued in than I was about what they were like all along no, yeah, I felt like it was like a slow unpeeling back of like, you know, because I, I had to realize that I was also projecting, I was projecting my kind of innocence onto other people and the shattering of the rose colored lenses was really helped, what helped me to realize just how manipulative and passive neurotypical communication and neurotypical people like kind of are. And um, that's that was the big shift for me was once I realized that, like, not everybody thought the same thing that I did. And people's kindness and, quote, unquote, openness wasn't actual reality. It was them, like, jockeying and playing a position in my life. How did you like, figure this they, out? Like, what was so, – like, I had help. Like, Frida pointed it out. Like, did you figure it out by yourself, though? And how? I did. I figured it out by myself. And so I'm hesitant. I can't really go into too many details because there is a specific scenario that happened, but it would kind of like, 
Totally, totally understandable. Be vague. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like as vaguely specific as I can get, I just had this relationship with someone who I thought was, I honestly thought they were like my one champion, um, champion amongst a sea of people who were against me. But I was just like, this person has my back, so I am okay. And then once I realized that they were playing me this whole time and they were like a master narcissist, like I, cause I, I, I just, I'm an empath personally. Like I, and I, I feel like empaths are just people who are highly sensitive that grew through their trauma as opposed to pe- narcissists who were highly sensitive and they devolved through their trauma. Um, and so that's an interesting narcissist. Because I feel like there's just two sides of the same coin. Like, we're both highly sensitive. We both can really read people and really absorb what other people, um, you know, feel and say. But where empaths kind of, like, take that in and feel like they need to, like, make things better, narcissists take that in as a way to better their themselves and further their own objective. And a lot of the times, narcissists and empaths are really attracted to each other. And over the years, I've gotten really good at reading narcissists and seeing them from a mile away. And so I was very, very shocked that this person was able to get over on me for like a a while Um, and not just get over on me, but I truly trusted this person. Like they fooled me. And I realized that they were a master manipulator. Like they were so good at being manipulative that they fooled me into thinking that they were genuinely my ally. And on the, and on the flip side, they were actually like trying to champion my destruction. But I caught it before they were actually able to truly destroy me. I got wise to what was happening before it was too late. That's good. But if you can say, was this like a friendship kind of thing or romantic kind of thing? No, it wasn't. It was professional. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I was yeah. just curious because, like, romantically, for whatever reason, I've always been able to see this stuff from a mile away. And so I've never, like, been in that, like, it, honestly, I've never been in a toxic relationship. I've been <laughs> lucky that way. But with friendships, Same. I had a much harder time. And I definitely had some, like, abusive friendships, especially, like, in my early mid early to mid 20s no yeah absolutely I've, I've been lucky in that regard too to not have ever um been in a intimate relationship with a narcissist or anything like that but this was someone that i thought was genuinely like someone who was like they they literally said that they were my biggest fan that was words that came out of their mouth and they acted like they supported me and were you know someone that i would go to and confide in and in reality, they were trying to bring me down. Oh, my gosh. Like Monica Lewinsky and Linda Tripp. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched yeah. that like, series and, like, yeah, someone who's pretending to be there for you while, like, literally they're tearing you down without just you. Judas. Just, yeah. I felt like this person was just literally fucking Judas. Yeah. Um, but and it was it was the only time I was actually impressed by them. To be honest, because I thought they were rather mediocre. I thought they were a nice person, but I didn't think that anything was like super fantastic about them. But then I was like, you know what? I'm actually impressed. You were able to really genuinely fool me. I thought that you were actually a nice, caring person, and you are a vacuous, soulless, fucking narc. I mean, my guess would be like they probably felt that same way of like that there wasn't that much great about them but there was about you and so like the only way they know how to deal with that is then they want to take they want to take it you know like they want to take some of that thing 
that is in you that is not in them. And like at the very least, so that you won't have it either. You know, like if they can't love themselves, if they can't like be happy, then they don't want you to. Yeah. And it's really sad. And I'm very glad that I caught wife to it um, when I did. Um, it's because impressive. if I didn't, I don't. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it's like, it's part of being like, you know, self-aware, you know, I feel like that is a big thing that sets uh, neurodivergent people apart from neurotypical people is that self-awareness. And I feel like we're forced to be more self-aware because we tend to find ourselves in situations where we have to be reflective of like how we have influenced what just happened. So like how many times have you been in a situation where like you said something and you can feel the shift in the room and you don't know what you said was wrong, but you just know it created a visceral reaction in everybody in the room. Like I'm sure you've experienced that multiple times. And so that has happened to me like so many times that I had to sit down and think about it after the fact and be like, okay, well, why did that just happen? And it happened so many times that I started to catch on to the pattern. And now I understand the patterns of like, how neurotypical people react to certain things and why, when you should say things and when you shouldn't say certain things. And it's, it's exhausting. It really is. And was that also for you, like kind of how you sort of figure this stuff out was analyzing those patterns. And did you like start trying to do it consciously or did you just start noticing them? Yeah, I just started noticing the pattern because, like, I, I'm a very empathetic person, so I could feel the shift in the room. Like, if I said or did something, I could tell that something was a little off or people's reactions were a little off. And I was at a point internalizing those things. It would make me, for a little while, think, oh, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? But once I started to really, like, build myself up and realize, like, okay, I know who I am and I know what I'm doing and what my intentions are and where I am. So let me start to try to like think about this thing from a, you know, objective standpoint and not just completely internalize it. What could be the common denominator when these things happen? And just from, you know, analyzing it that way, analyzing the patterns. Okay, so when this happens, this kind of happens. Or if people say this, they're expecting this. And though all those patterns together really started to help me formulate, okay, so all the, the common denominator here is some sort of, trigger okay so they felt bad or they felt pain or they felt some kind of fear or guilt about something and that made them do x you know and it started to make me really understand like okay at the bottom at the end of the day this uh insecurity is the biggest thing that like drives a lot of the social cues and social structure and like things that people on the neurotypical side are looking for when it comes to like being normal and fitting in is based on like you should just kind of like self-correct because you should know already that you shouldn't say these things and a lot of like internalizing these what other people are expecting of you and when you don't you're seen as like oh who the, who the hell do you think you are mm-hmm. why are you not why are you not afraid of of saying this or why are you not uh, feeling bad that you did this who are it's you? Really interesting because, um, like, I don't know. We had, uh, so I also like started figuring all of this stuff out because I just started noticing the patterns. But I noticed the patterns in, like, uh, honestly, 
kind of the biggest thing is like I was on Twitter for like 10 years and I would read like people's arguments with each other and people's discussions with each other. And uh, like it was kind of just baffling to me how people talked to each other because they it was they weren't actually talking to each other. You know, they were just like saying things. And then the next person would <laughs> respond and it was like, that's not really a response to the previous thing the person said. And they're just like I've heard these same phrases so many times. Like they're just like recycling bits of arguments they've already had with other people. And yeah, like that is what I ended up eventually like having enough data on that I could see the patterns and I ended up, well, really what happened is eventually I, I had enough that I, I could suddenly see how um, neurotypicals were thinking. And that was how I figured out I wasn't neurotypical. <laughs> and so I just realized like, yeah, oh my God, there's a completely different way to think. It is so foreign to me and it's the normal way. And that means I am not the normal way. So what am I? And it's just really fascinating to me that like you were finding the patterns f- through like emotional uh like experiences with the people around you and that that yeah that's not at all like <laughs> what I picked up on and <laughs> I'm, I'm probably not an empath I guess is one thing I'm thinking from this <laughs> maybe maybe but again it's just like honestly empath again to me my definition of it at least is a highly sensitive person who had to grow through their trauma and again, narcissists are the same thing. They're highly sensitive. They can pick up on the tiniest little shifts in people's emotions and use that to their advantage as opposed to helping other people. Um, but yeah, that, that pattern recognition thing is like, it's the biggest thing for me. Like, I'm like, okay. And, and that, that's when I can tell when someone's also off. It's like, okay, so that's not normal. That's not a normal reaction in this situation. You know, like, I'm used to Mm -hmm. people being like this. So, like, okay, this is... So, that also helps me, like, to realize if something I said or did or is, like, you know, is going on that, like, people have a a weird reaction to. It's like, okay, so I'm used to people acting like this. You're doing this. That's that's out of the norm. What's going on there? And start to to deconstruct that as well. Um, I was also thinking, you know, you you said that people will get that, that... Thing like who do you who do you think you are and um I think that is what I'm struggling with still with what we were talking about earlier about like not uh letting people dull your shine is that is like still the thing I think I struggle with is like um like moral feelings of guilt of like do I think I'm better than other people. It, like not wanting to, uh, yeah, kind of who asking myself, like, who do you think you are to, yeah. like, to let yourself shine like that, you know? And that's that's still something I know. Like, I'm I got to finish working through that. <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel you on that. It's like it's going back to what we were already saying. It's it's other people's insecurity and they want you to kind of self-police yourself and self-regulate yourself because they can't do it for themselves. They, they don't, they're projecting and externalizing everything. Oh, well, 
I wish that I could, you know, be a crowd pleaser like this person is. But instead of me working on myself, I'm going to say, well, this person thinks they're hot shit. They're arrogant. Instead of being like, oh, well, maybe I'm a little insecure. No, it's always the other person's fault. And and again, that goes back to what I was saying, where I think that's a big difference between neurotypical and neurotypical cognition and neurodivergent is that we are very self-reflective. We tend to internalize a lot of things. And I mean, I feel like that's the only way I was able to self-diagnose was because I was internalizing a lot of things. But at, but it was good because I got to a place where I realized, okay, I'm internalizing other people's mess because this isn't me. This isn't my intention. And this isn't anything that I did. This is just someone's reaction to what I did that I now internalized and thought that it was my fault. But I'm like, no, now I can use this opportunity to try to break down what kind of might have been going on in their mind or what could have, how this could have been interpreted through, you know, a a different lens to get the reaction that I got. And that whole process is really what got me to, to, like I said before, boiling down all the different ways that it manifests. It comes down to just a lack of personal identity and insecurity and feeling threatened by people who are just rebellious individuals who can't help but being themselves. Yeah. And I, I was just thinking, like, I think maybe one thing I need to remind myself of is that like, when I see other people like truly like loving themselves, being the fullest expression of themselves, like I fucking love it. And it's inspiring to me. It's not, that doesn't hurt me, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, so I need to stop worrying that like, I'm going to hurt other people by being myself when like, I know that, yeah, that is only based in that kind of insecurity thing. And then that is like, that's just how they're going to see everything. There's no way around that. There's nothing you can do. Like if that is how somebody is going to interpret you and anyone else um when like Mm -hmm. there is also good that comes to other people from being good to yourself like it's not a selfish thing um even like i don't know frida and i were talking the other day about uh when we first saw like people who like fat people on social media wearing like crop tops and like shorts like because um like I I've been like a lot of different sizes in my life and um for a long time like I wouldn't wear anything like I I didn't wear shorts for years you know um and then when I first saw people just like loving their bodies in these clothes I realized like I'm never looking at them and like thinking anything bad I'm only thinking like god they look awesome (laughs) and like I love how like they clearly feel so good in this outfit and then like I started fucking wearing shorts you know (laughs) like really embracing um your shine is it's good for other people. Like it's, we're taught that it's selfish, but it's, it's not selfish. Exactly. Because you hit the nail on the head. Like 
that was one thing that helped me as well once I decided to quote unquote enter my villain era was that (laughs) hopefully it would inspire other people to do the same. It's like, no, be selfish, live for yourself. We have this one and only life and it shouldn't be lived to please other people or to fit into a box that other people have created for you. Like, I really do think it's, it's been quite a few years since I've watched this movie. I want to go back and watch it again. But, like, lately I've been thinking about, like, life as the Matrix. Like, and oh, that yeah. neurotypical people are still plugged into the Matrix because they literally do things without thinking about it. It's just what they're programmed to do. And they you don't even, watch and the Matrix then and then Because there's a new one that came out yeah, in, like, December. And they, yeah. Uh, I got some big Matrix vibes this year. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what prompted me to want to like rewatch the first one. I was like, oh my god! So they, the the um, the new one came out, and I haven't watched it yet because I haven't you know brushed up on the story of the Matrix in a while. But I do just remember you know the overall, especially the very first, the original movie, um, and the theme there is what makes me you know use it as a good comparison between like neurotypicals and neurodivergent people like neurotypical people are those people who are still plugged in and just go along with the with the system and then you have somebody that's a neurodivergent that comes along and they quote unquote challenge the system they show all the ways that the people that are plugged in are still limiting themselves and how they aren't really living their true lives and that you know it may look scary or it may look like what you're not used to if you go into the real world but it's so much more liberating and freeing if you do yeah, it's and real. You talk about that. You're seeing that's crazy. Exactly. But if you say that, then it's like, you're crazy. Like, why would you want to, like, not work for a company and, like, move and, like, live in a commune where you guys trade <laughs> and barter as opposed to have money? Like, I swear, like, if I had my way, like, I, like, I would Every autistic I would person so, I know like, is on that vibe. It's wild. <laughs> like, Frida wants, uh, like, to have donkeys at our future commune. Like, we've got plans, you know? <laughs> I swear, I actually have a friend who, like, really made a lot of plans to, like, buy a parcel of land and everything, and things fell through. But I was like, oh, my God, like, if that actually went through, I totally would have, like, joined the community and built a tiny home. And, like, you know, I don't know. I have a bunch of skills that I can, you know, use to barter and trade. I don't know. Like, I would love to do that as opposed to having to, like, freaking work for money. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. it sucks. And, like, you know, once you know that this is the Matrix, like, how am I supposed to take it seriously? Like, I I can't, I can't get emotionally invested in something that's not real. It's like, once you know that you're just, like, playing a video game, how am I supposed to, like, have real life kind of feelings about it? Like, I I can't. Yeah, and then that's what makes people call yourself absorbed because now you get kind of detached from what's going on around you and you're just kind of focused on what you're doing. And it's like, well, why don't you care about what X, Y, and Z celebrity just did? Well, because it doesn't really matter at the yeah. end of the day. Like, I don't care. I, I don't. Yeah, and I really like. I stopped watching the news a lot of the time. Like, I mean, I, I stay abreast of the important things, of course, but like, I used to be. You know, I I used to watch the news. I used to be kind of like into politics and all this stuff. And like, I just don't care anymore because it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Things are uh, playing out according to the script anyway. So I'm just going to make sure that what I'm doing is fulfilling and fun for me and not hurting anyone else. Yeah, I was like, I was a poli sci major. I watched the news. I was, uh, 
I wrote political articles like for years. I was so into it. And I reached a point where it was like this, like people are using the news just like as entertainment to then be upset about. And like my brain isn't meant to process this many awful things. I'm just fucking depressed over it. Like I'm not making the world better by knowing all this stuff. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't like watch it anymore except for the stuff that like I can, yeah, be involved in like, um, I mean, I'm very much like, you know, anti-capitalist. And so I stay up with like, yeah, labor kind of stuff going on in America. Um, Mm -hmm. And I try to basically whenever like people want, you know, they need to call attention to like what is happening in their country or to their people. So like, I totally get that. Like you need to know that like, you are a human to other people. And so like that I always want to engage in, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. but just like keep up with the news every day of this terrible thing here. And this, like, what am I supposed to do with that? And like, who who is that? Who am I helping? Like, I don't, I'm I'm better helping people if I'm not so sad. (laughs) Exactly. I, I, once I realized that the news wasn't to inform, it was to like confirm. Like, you know what I mean? That's so, a like, very good way to put it. Yeah. Because like, there's so many different types of news. You you can turn to one news and it'll be you know liberal and or progressive, and then another news it'll be conservative. None of them are neutral. None of them take a neutral stance. It's all to you know. It's not to actually inform you of anything. It's just to kind of confirm your fears, confirm your biases, and to keep you in a perpetual state of externalizing things, worrying about what's going on around you as opposed to what's going on inside you. Yeah. And that, like, it, that, that's a big thing that started to bug me is that people never wanted to, like, because I'm a big, like, let's clean up our own backyard. You know, let's, like, find mm-hmm. the biases in ourselves. Let's find ways to, like, improve our own communities and then literally people be like what so you like trump and i'm like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> like how did they get there from that like just because i think that we could also like fix stuff on our side like doesn't mean uh, like it i could complain about republicans all day long it doesn't do anything they don't listen to me like i'm not one of them and but then i found like people do not want to examine themselves. Like uh, the moment I was so, so naive when I was younger, like when everyone started talking about like checking their privilege, I was like, fuck yeah, we're all going to do this. I really thought like everyone was going to do that. Um, Uh And then it took like five years for me to realize like, oh no, most people absolutely do not want to like look at their own privilege. And um and even people will get like really gung ho about their own very like the oppression they face and not see the parallels to the oppression other people face and um and like they like they just don't want to do that and so i have to just accept that that's that's not going to happen um and like but i can't be interested in some circle jerk where we just like 
pretend <laughs> our group is good and the other group is bad. Like, what the fuck is that accomplishing? Nothing. Exactly. Yeah. It, it kind of goes his back to what we were talking about before. People don't want to be introspective. They don't want to think about those things because it's painful to think about a lot of those things. Um, especially if you've just been blindly going along with whatever has been fed to you or told to you is what you're supposed to go along with. Yeah. And you get challenged when you get, you know, presented with evidence or someone's story from the other side that makes you start to think about things like cognitive dissonance. I talk about that a lot is, is what really stops people in their track and tracks and prevents them from growing. It's, it's like, I believe this, this is what's true for me. And then I'm confronted with this contradictory evidence and cognitive dissonance is painful. Like I literally feel the pain of like being confronted with a contradictory, um, contradictory evidence or something I believe. So I'm just going to dig my heels in and find some way to justify away this new evidence I, yeah. I found and just resupport my own stance as opposed to leaning into it and being like, okay, well, wow, this is crazy. Let me let me think about this, this new perspective that was presented to me. I experienced that like in a very painful way. Um, I got really sick last year, like I almost died. Mm. I was sick for months. Oh, wow. um, and my illness did not fit into a lot of people's like concept of the world. And so, yeah, they would just like refuse to believe that I was as sick as I was. And like even people who uh, like doctors who I really thought would help me, like, you know, people I loved who I thought would be there for me. Um, they, they, yeah, they refused to see the evidence that like, well, the world isn't what you thought, I guess, you know, like, I guess this shit does happen yeah. to people because it was confusing to me too. I got so sick. It was so sudden and so severe. And like, and I was like, God, this, this doesn't fucking happen, but it is happening. So I guess it does happen, you know, like, and I had no choice but to like, accept. okay, things happen in life that I didn't think happen. Like, um, because a part of it, I actually have not talked about it on the podcast yet because uh, it's so touchy. But, like, I had a very bad vaccine reaction and um, and oh. basically it, like, destroyed my immune system. And I ended up having, like, a whole bunch of opportunistic infections. And um, I got very sick from things that normally wouldn't make you sick. And oh. I didn't think that that was – I didn't think any chance that was going to happen. I was, like, so – like gung ho, can't wait to get the vaccine. Everyone should get it. Like, I'm from a healthcare like family. My dad's a doctor. Like, I mm-hmm. I was the one scoffing at other people talking about like reactions and side effects and stuff. And then I had a horrible one, and people just like if they if they didn't want to like admit that like anything like that could happen then they were willing to just let me suffer and die alone so that they wouldn't have to change their minds and it, that wow. that sucked ass <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah wow that is firstly i'm sorry to hear that that happened that's crazy but i'm glad to hear that 
you know, you're you're better. Yeah, I'm um, alive. Man. But that is a classic. Yeah, exactly. Alive to kick it. But that's a classic example of cognitive dissonance. You're literally, you were literally like dying in front of people and they would still be like, well, no, it, it can't be that. It, it had to have been something else. You must have done something else. It couldn't have been yeah. that you had a bad reaction. You know what I mean? It, it, that that's a that's a classic example of cognitive dissonance. Like people do that all the time, even with some of the smallest things to the biggest things. And either way, it's just like if you're unwilling to just absorb new information and consider it, but people won't even consider it most of the time. They'll go immediately into defending their stance to yeah. where that's why you just don't get anywhere with a lot of neurotypical people. It's like they don't want to grow because the growth is painful. But we we can't help but grow through it because we have to. We have to figure out yeah. why we don't fit in. And when we are presented with new evidence that we know is good evidence, yeah. we can't just ignore it. We have to change our perception. Like it requires right. every assessment that we cannot like hide from. Yeah. And that, it actually makes me feel kind of sad for neurotypical people because it's like, you limit yourself. You you don't even understand how limitless you could be if you were actually just open to understanding the world around you doesn't operate, you know, solely based on what you think or how you view things. If you were just open to to the world and to other experiences and perspectives, like you would understand just how limitless you can be and you would be truly yourself and truly happy. And not have all of this rage bubbling, behind, you know, underneath the surface, which is what I feel like a lot of us in this culture have, is this culture of, you know, this veneer of niceness and politeness that covers up the deep rage beneath. That's why we have to always be polite and you can't yeah. be direct because even a direct statement is taken as an attack because everyone is bubbling with this rage beneath the surface that is just ready to, to, to bubble over. I think that's... Um, also a really like beautiful place to end it on is like, but mm -hmm. to think about like, but how much more could we be? And, um, yeah. like how, I mean, even just like to, you know, cause the podcast rethinking reality to think like, how much are you limiting yourself from being like, how, how much more would be available in life? if we were able to let go of these, you know, fears, resentment, anger, like, cause for sure. I mean, neurotypical people, like it's just like wired in, but, um, neurodivergent people fall prey to that too, for sure. Um, Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a great, like last note to end on. I love that. Uh, I do too. This, this has been awesome. a great conversation. I feel like I have, so much more to ask you that like but we talked so much there's just there's just so much to talk about <laughs> for sure well i would love to actually have you on my uh show deconstructing neurodivergence um i'm working on actually trying to finalize the format like my goal is to get it out this month it was supposed to come out in march but i really want to take my time and make sure that like the format is like something I'm in love with, but also something yeah. sustainable that I can do um, very often. Smart. But like, it's basically hopefully going to be like um, 10 to 15 minute, like videos um, on my YouTube channel. Um, 
where I'm talking about some of the theories that we, we kind of discussed um, during our conversation that I have that I've built during this deconstructing journey. And I call it deconstructing because I feel like this whole, everything we're, we're um, living within is all social constructs. Yeah. That I'm like deconstructing and breaking down like the origins of and the whys behind it. So um, I would absolutely love to pick your brain some more too. Um, and I would love to do that. Because well. I think we have a lot of very similar theories and, yeah, I think we think about the same kinds of things. So uh, anytime you want Absolutely. me on, I am so happy. I love sharing my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so awesome. where can the audience find you on like social media and stuff? Oh, yes. So I am on um, TikTok at deconstructing.neuro. Um, I'm also on Instagram at the same handle at deconstructing.neuro. And then my personal page is at T Jamaica Pogue. Pogue is P-O-G-U-E. Um, also on Instagram and TikTok. Um, I'm primarily on TikTok now. Um, not really too much on Twitter or on Instagram, but you can catch me there more so with my personal things with travel and kind of hobbies. But for this kind of information you can catch me there and then most importantly my youtube channel which is uh t jamaica pole uh on youtube and the link is also in my bio if you can check out any of my other mentioned social media perfect and i will put those in the description for this show so um everyone can find t with the links um yeah i don't know scroll down right now and you can do it <laughs> Um, cool. Yeah, well, thank you so much for um, being on the podcast and talking. And I can't wait to talk more in the future. Absolutely. All right. Bye. Bye, Gary.